Have you considered how much of life involves waiting? We wait in line at Steelhead, Starbucks, Costco, Target. We wait in traffic, airports. We wait in doctor's waiting rooms. We wait for callbacks, emails, text messages, internet pages to load, traffic lights to change. We wait for a 16th birthday, for a driver's license, for a date, for a wedding, for the birth of a child, for retirement. We wait for the next paycheck, for the callback on a job interview, for a promotion, for graduation, for summer vacation, for a medical diagnosis. We wait for good health, for Mr. Wright, we wait for a new president. We wait for someone to apologize, a divorce to be finalized, for sadness to end, for happiness to come. One study said the average American spends between 45 and 62 minutes per day waiting. That averages out to three years over the course of a 70-year lifespan. And while waiting might be an inevitable part of life, I don't think that most people probably enjoy waiting. I know I went into Costco yesterday, and when I first came in the door, the first thing I looked at were the lines, and I was, I was assessing the lines and how long it might be that I might have to wait. And by the time I got what I needed to get there, I was coming up the line, and the first thing I do is I do kind of a personality profile on everybody that's in line. I look at their cards. I look at the checker. I do a character uh, assessment on the, on the checker because I'm trying to predict which line will be the most rapid, and of course, I never get it right. <laughs> Why do I do that? Because like you, I have places to go, I have things to do, and waiting is a waste of time, right? Well, I'd like to challenge that widely held assumption that waiting is a waste of time. This is going to be our focus during the Advent season, this theme of waiting. And we'll use a variety of mediums and meditations to explore this topic of waiting. We'll look at the Bible, we'll look at works of art, we'll engage in prayer, we'll engage in music, we'll engage in uh, times of reflection, and also embodied responses. And you're invited into this right away by responding to this question, what is it that you're waiting for? What is it? that you're waiting for right now. He was 75 years old when God made a promise to him. And then God told him to leave his home and go to a distant land. Of course, the person I'm talking about is the great patriarch, Abraham. Children probably have, many children here have probably heard or sung the song Father Abraham with the hand motions, of course. And you know the song, perhaps, if you've been around Sunday school, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, right? But what, one thing the song doesn't tell you is the fact that Abraham became a father when he was 100 years old. God gave him this promise, and we saw the promise read to us, and it comes from Genesis 15, 1 to 5. But even after God made the promise, Abraham had to wait 25 years for that promise to become a reality. His wife Sarah was almost as old as he was. She was just 10 years younger. She was 90 years of age when she gave birth to a child. But think about it. <clears throat> Abraham waited his entire lifetime to become a father. And even after God made the promise to him, he still had to wait 25 years for that promise to become a reality. 25 years. And that's not the only thing he 
waited for. Seven times Abraham was promised the land of Canaan. And yet when his wife Sarah died, he did not own one square inch of that land. He didn't even have a plot of ground to bury his wife in. God had promised him descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, as many as the grains of sand in the sea. And yet when his wife died, his son Isaac, the son promised to him, was still unmarried at age 37. So where were all these children and grandchildren and descendants? Where was God's promise? If Abraham was the only one who had to perpetually wait in the Bible, we might read his story and we might say, well, I feel sorry for him. But Abraham's the first of many who had to wait. And we're going to be looking at some of those people in this Advent season as we look at this topic of waiting. And what's interesting to me is that in revealing all these people in the Bible to us, all these people who had to wait, the Bible helps us address this question. What does it mean to be human and to live in relationship to God? What can we expect? See, I think from my observation of of observing people, having conversations with people, there are a lot of people who are stuck in life because of either unmet or unnamed expectations. And I think the Christians oftentimes get stuck as well because of either unmet or unnamed expectations when it comes to God. So what does it mean to be human and to be in relationship to God? But Abraham's story and others in the Bible reveals that living in relationship to God does not exempt us from waiting. In fact, waiting is fundamental to the identity of the people of God. In other words, to be part of the people of God is to have an identity that's shaped by waiting. Think about it, okay? Think about it for a second. To be a Christian is to be someone who professes to have a relationship with God, right? To be a Christian is to be someone who professes to have a relationship with God. And that relationship is based upon God making promises to us, which we then trust. And it's those promises that both call us and allow us to wait and to wait in hope because it is God who has given these promises to us. It's those promises that shape us as the people of God. So what are Christians waiting for? Well, if you look at the narrative arc of the Bible, you see at the very end of the Bible in Revelation 21 that Christians are waiting ultimately for God's new world, for the restoration of God's good creation. It's the realization of the project that was launched with Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And we get glimpses of this new world as we see what Jesus does, as we see him pointing to this new world that God is going to bring in one day. That's what we see in Jesus. That's why when we we celebrate the incarnation, we don't just simply say Jesus came to die and we skip his entire life and go immediately to the cross. His life matters because it's in his life that we see Jesus pointing to the world that God wants to bring into being. And what he does is demonstrative of the world that God intends for us to have. It makes sense of Jesus and it makes sense of where this whole thing is going. It's a world marked by right relationships. It's right relationships between us and God and us with each other and then us with creation. 
It's a world in which there's no more terrorism, war, or killing in the name of religion. There'll be no more exploitation and corruption that produce social injustice and economic injustice. Poverty and debt will be relieved. People and nations will not suffer from the politics of greed. Relationships will not be marked by racism, suspicion, fear, jealousy, resentment, bitterness, revenge. Women will not be objectified by men. Children will not be victimized by predators. There'll be no more famine, no more sickness, no more cancer. There'll be no more shame, guilt, fear, anxiety, abuse, addiction, loneliness. Does this sound like it's a a future that's worth waiting for? Does it sound like a future that's worth longing for? See, in between now and then we wait, but it's not passive waiting, and it's certainly not a waste of time. So I return to Abraham's story very briefly. Sarah is dead. He has no land to bury him, her in, and Isaac, his promised son, is still unmarried. And so the question is, how will God's promises of land and descendants ever be a reality? Well, there's five simple Hebrew words in Genesis 23:2. It says this: Abraham mourned and wept for her. Then immediately it says, Abraham arose from before his dead. Those come right on the heels of each other. And in a flurry of activity, he does two things. He buys a plot of land from the Hittites to bury his wife, and he goes out to find a wife for his son Isaac. And these two things correspond exactly to God's promises. The blessing of land and the blessing of descendants. And in these we see in these actions we see another important aspect of waiting. God also waits. God also waits for us to act on his promises. See the waiting at times is mutual. God promises, we wait, and God also waits for us to act in faith, to step into the future that he has promised. So my question to you is, how real is God's future that he's promised? And then I return to the question that we started with in this Advent season, and that is, what is it that you're waiting for? What is it that you're waiting for? And one of the things that... that you might be thinking right now as you're even giving up on waiting because you feel like it's all passed you by or that God has passed you by or that there's no no second, third, or fourth chances for you. But God is a God of grace. God is a God of second, third, fourth, and many, many chances. He gives us hope. He gives us promise. He keeps his word. I want to give you an opportunity to step into this as we begin this Advent season. There's a, uh, something you received in the bulletin, a tag, okay, right here. And reach in there. And if you didn't receive one, the gentleman will be walking down the aisles and they'll just put your hand up real quickly and get one because we want everybody to have an opportunity to respond to this. 
I want to give you an opportunity to record your areas of waiting on this card, okay? So we've got children in here today as well because this is a kind of a family time today. Some of them are raising their hands. That's so cool. We want them to be involved as well. And uh, so what is it that you're waiting for? And, and write those areas down on this, on this card. And you might be wondering, okay, you, know, you don't need to sign them. Um, we'll be projecting some of these in the weeks to come, and we'll be praying for them. So if you're wondering, what are we going to do with them? Why should I bother doing this? We're going to be praying for these. We want it to become a reality. We want to share this as a, as a group, as a community, of a family of God. And so it's important that we get to see some of the things that we're waiting for, and that we begin to, to lean into this with hope and with prayer and with expectation.